Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Devarim. My name is Menachem Liptag. Today we continue our study of Parshad A, Shur number 5 out of 6. We will be studying today all of chapter 15, verses 1 through 23. We will find four primary topics. Verses 1 through 6 will be the laws of Shemitah Ksafim, annulling all debts every seven years. Verses 7 through 11 will be a reminder about helping the poor and not allowing the laws of Shemitah to deter you from lending money. In verses 12 through 18, we will find the laws of a Jewish servant, also a cycle of seven years. And finally, in verses 19 through 23, we will find the laws of what to do with our firstborn animals, the need to bring them to Yerushalayim. In our study today, we will find several topics where it seems quite clear that Sefer Devarim is assuming that his audience is aware of the laws in Parshat Mishpatim, especially in chapters 21 through 23 in Sefer Shemot. This makes a lot of sense because the laws in Parshat Mishpatim were given together with the Ten Commandments on the very same day. The people were standing closer to God when they heard the Ten Commandments, and they stood at a farther distance when they heard the laws of Parshat Mishpatim through Moshe Rabbeinu. But all these laws came together with the Ten Commandments, and then when Moshe goes up for the first 40 days, then he receives the laws of Sefer Dvarim, and recall, as we've explained many times, that the laws that Moshe teaches in Sefer Dvarim were first given to the nation during the first 40 days when Moshe Rabbeinu was in Har Sinai. Therefore, it makes sense that when Moshe is teaching now one last time the laws that he first received some 40 years ago and has taught them over and over again, that these laws that he teaches in Sefer Dvarim assume the knowledge of the laws as well in Parshat Mishpatim, as we will see in today's year. Recall as well, we made a similar point in regard to the assumption that the audience of Sefer Devarim is also aware of the key themes of Sefer Breshit and its stories, and that helped us appreciate some of the key phrases and concepts that Moshe Rabbeinu teaches during the speech. So let's begin now in chapter 15, verse 1, Perak Tetva, Pasuk Aleph. Miketz Sheva Shanim Taseh Shemitah. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make Shemitah, or a year of remission. Before we continue, let's return to Parshat Mishpatim and read the first time the law of Shemitah was recorded. Sefer Shmot, chapter 23, verse 10. You may plant your land for six years and gather the crops. And then during the seventh year, you must leave it alone and withdraw from it. So that the poor people of your nation can have what to eat. And whatever is left over can be eaten by the animals of the field. And this also applies to your vineyard and to your olive grove. So from Pasha Mishpatim, we have the most basic law of Shemitah, that for six years we work our fields in the normal manner. And during the seventh year, we don't work the field, we don't plant anything new. But whatever grows naturally, it is permitted to eat, but the produce does not belong to the owner. It belongs to everyone. It's called hefker. And the rabbis understand that we can only eat as much as you need for one day at a time. And Chumash tells us in Sefer Shmot that the purpose for that year is so that the poor people have what to eat. Pay attention that the name for that poor person is called an evyon. So now returning to our study in Parshad Rei, in the beginning of chapter 15, the opening line reminds us that every seven years we have to do Shemitah, as it is recorded in Sefer Shemot. I should also mention that the laws of Shemitah are also detailed 
in Parshat Bahar in chapter 25 in the book of Aikra, but there the word Shemitah is not found. Rather, it's called Shabbat Lashem. It's a sabbatical year for God. That relates to a general theme in Sefer Vayikra of the Yovo cycle and how the land of Israel belongs to God. In this manner, Shemitah is like Shabbat, that it has both the element of between God and man and between man and his fellow man. Notice as well that the laws of Shemitah now are a continuation of chapter 14 that discuss the Maser cycle, that every third and sixth year, the Maser Sheni that usually goes to Yerushalayim was given to the poor people called Maser Ani. And now in the seventh year, it's totally dedicated to the poor people. And again, we explained in yesterday's year that that shows again the connection between the need for our own spiritual growth and the need to take care of the poor and how both are important in our spiritual growth. With this in mind, let's read now in chapter 15 in Sefer Dvarim, Pasuk Bet, verse 2. This is the law of the Shemitah. Any owner of a loan or the lender must let go or withdraw from that loan. The loan that he has given to his friend. And then we have a second law. He should not demand that money or the loan from his friend or from his brother. Because the Shemitah year for God has been declared. So we see here there are two basic laws. One is the lender must let go or release the loan. And for sure, the second law, he can't demand the money from his friend. This law is referred to by the rabbis as Shemitah Ksafim, or the Shemitah law relating to money. This law is unique because it relates to finances and not to agricultural produce. However, I would like to explain why these laws are connected. And to understand why, we simply have to understand the nature of agriculture in the land of Israel and why people in ancient times would take a loan. To understand these laws and the laws in chapter 16 that will follow about the holidays, one must be familiar with the agricultural cycle in the land of Israel. During the winter it rains, but there's no rain in the summer. The crops begin to grow in late winter and early spring, but the harvest season only takes place in the summer. So in the early summer, in May and June, we can harvest our grain. And then in July and August and September, we can harvest our fruit. But there's only one cycle a year of harvest. And therefore the grain that we grow during May and June has to last us for the entire year. And the fruits that grow in the summer, they have to last us for the entire year. But there's only one season a year for each of the crops. And once that season is over, you have to wait to the next year to grow the next crop. So what does someone do in the winter when they don't have enough food to eat? So he needs to take a loan with the assumption that next year when his crops grow, he can pay the loan back. But that will take several months. For example, let's say it's the middle of the winter and the farmer has no food left at home. He needs money so he can go to the marketplace and buy food that will last him until he can harvest his grain in May. So he needs a loan for four or five or six months. How is he going to pay back his loan? When he harvests his grain in the early summer, he can sell those and pay his debt back. But during the Shemitah year, there's no way the farmer can pay back his loan because during the Shemitah year, we cannot harvest our fruits and store it. We can only take as much food as we need a day at a time. And therefore, the farmer has no way to pay back a loan during the Shemitah year. For that reason, Shemitah Karkaot, the laws of Shemitah of the land relate directly to the laws of Shemitah of money, the Shemitah Ksafim. 
This also explains why the rabbis understand that the annulment of the loans takes place at the end of the Shemitah year. That is, the Torah says at the end of seven years to Shemitah, it doesn't say when during the seventh year, but almost all the commentators and all the halachic sources that the precise time when the annulment of loans takes place at the very end of the Shemitah year and not in the beginning. This background helps us understand the next verse in Pasuk Gimel in verse 3, Et Hanochritigos, it is permitted to demand money from a foreigner, someone who's not Jewish. But money that is owed to you by your brother, that you must let go of and release. This makes a lot of sense because the Nochri, the foreigner, does not have the loss of Shemitah. He can grow his crops and he can pay his loan back. But your brother, who has to keep the loss of Shemitah, there's no way he can pay his loan back. And therefore, we are commanded to release that loan. In verse 4, we continue with a very interesting statement. Pasuk Dalet, Ephes ki lo ye Ephes here can mean however, or alas, or on the other hand, we're hoping that there should never be a poor person. Ki Adonai, Because Hashem your God should bless this land that Hashem your God is giving you for an inheritance and to possess. But that's only on the condition, in Pasuk hey, verse 5, that prosperity is only promised if everyone is listening to the voice of Hashem your God. To keep and to do all this commandment that I'm commanding you today. What Chomish seems to be saying, we should hope that no one would be poor, but in reality, there's bound to be poor people because not everyone is perfect. And if there are poor people who are in need of a loan, don't blame them that they're poor. It's your job to take care of them. Chumash will continue to develop this idea as we continue reading. Pasuk Vav, verse 6. For Hashem your God will bless you just as He promised you. So that you will lend money to many nations and you will not need to borrow from them. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. That's on the condition you keep all the mitzvot and follow all of God's laws properly. Now that is a great hope, but it's not realistic that things will always be so good. So the next section, beginning in Pasuk Zion with verse 7, talks about a more realistic situation. Pasuk Zion, verse 7. Should there be a poor person? among you, from one of your brethren, in any of your towns in the land which Hashem your God is giving you, you should not harden your heart, nor should you close your hand from your brother who is poor. This now is the most important law. Those who prosper during the agricultural season must make sure to help those who are less fortunate. The less fortunate person here is called the Evyon. Now, when someone else is less successful than you are, you can say that's his problem, and you can harden your heart, and you can hold back your hand and not help him. We can always have reasons why not to give tzedakah. Instead, what does Chumash demand us to do? Pasachet, verse 8. Instead of holding back your hand, you should open up your hand for him. And you shall surely lend him a sufficient amount for whatever he needs. Remember that commandment here, patoch tiftach. We'll have it one more time and we'll discuss soon 
how this relates to something we say every day in our prayers. Pasuk Ted, verse 9. Now we're going to relate this general law to the law of Shemitah from the previous paragraph because the commandment in verse 7 and 8 relates to every year of the agricultural cycle. Now in verse 9, Pasuk Ted. Hishamer lecha pen davar im levavcha b'li'au lemor. Be careful, should there be an evil thought in your heart saying, Karva shnata sheva shnata Shemitah. The seventh year, the Shemitah year, is coming very soon. And it will be bad in your eye to lend money to your poor brother. And that will lead you to decide not to give him a loan. And then he will call out to God because he's disappointed that no one helped him. And the sin will be with you. Here Chumash has a very logical worry. If you lend money to someone in the sixth year, or the Shemitah year is very near, there's a very good chance he'll never pay you back. Because once the Shemitah year comes, you can't collect your loan. Not only is it forbidden to collect your loan, he won't be able to pay back your loan because no one can gather the crops in the seventh year. And if people would think that way, then all the laws of Shemitah would be counterproductive because the Shemitah laws are for the good of the poor people. And now it turns out the poor people won't have anyone to lend money from. And therefore, in Pasuk Yod, in verse 10, the Torah commands us, Surely you must give him, and you should not feel bad in your heart when you lend him this money. It's because of this type of behavior that Hashem, your God, will bless you in all your endeavors and anything you send your hand out to do. What God is promising is if you keep my laws and you take care of the needy, God will make sure that your crops will grow well and you will not be in need. And now, in his final line, Pasuk Aleph, verse 11, you should know there will always be poor people. That's the way things are. That's the nature of life. It's not their fault that they're poor. If God blesses you with the ability to help someone, it's in order to help that poor person. Therefore, I'm commanding you, saying, Therefore, I'm commanding you, surely you must open up your hand to your brethren, to the poor person, to the one who is destitute in your land. In regard to the opening phrase, that there will always be poor people in the land, which seems to contradict verse 4, where God promises that there will not be any poor people. So Rashbam points out right away, it's not a contradiction, but rather, the assumption is people always end up sinning, and therefore, because not everyone will be perfect, there will always be poor people. Ramban follows a very similar direction. Ramban also points out at the end of the verse that to the poor people in your land, it doesn't say the land that Hashem is giving you, but rather in your land in general. And therefore he claims that this law applies not only to the land of Israel, but anywhere where a Jew is living. Also from the last phrase of this verse, where we talk about to your brother, the poor person, and followed by and the poor people in your land, Ebenezer points out that from here we learn how to prioritize. So Ebenezer points out, as Chazal say, that first comes first before of your land, and then of your land over of a different land. 
I also suggest that you note the Chizkuni, who points out that we have the word key four times in these five verses, and each time it means something a little different based on its context. As Chazal say, key can mean four different things depending on its context, and even though the Hebrew language is very rich and can use different words, but by using the same word to mean four different things, that forces the reader to pay attention to context when reading the Torah. For those who like the study of what's called leitmotif, or key words, or milam mancha, what's called in Hebrew, and counting that word a number of times, the word avyon in this section is mentioned six times, and the word ani one additional time. So we talk about this poor person seven times, six times referred to as an avyon, and one time referred to as an ani. That may be by chance, or Chumash might be up to something, because of course this is the seventh year, and this phenomena happens quite often in the Torah, but again, that's beyond the scope of our study. What I would like to discuss, though, is the phrase, We found this phrase twice, both in verse 8 and in verse 11, in the concluding line. And we should be very familiar with this line, because we say something very similar every day in what we call Ashrei, or in Psalm 145, called Tilada David. Not only do we find a verse in Tilada David, which begins with the famous, that we praise God and say, what does God do? God opens up his hands and provides food for all those in need. But the rabbis say the reason why we say this psalm three times a day is specifically because of this verse. But it could be that the reason why this verse is so central in that psalm in Tehillim is because it's based on the concept that Sefer Dvarim is talking about. In Sefer Tehillim, we're praising God, and we're talking about how God takes care of those in need. On the other hand, one could suggest that the Mizmor is assuming that the reader of that Mizmor is aware of Chumash, and it's telling you that you're commanded to open up your hand. Why are we praising God that He opens up His hand and takes care of the poor and the needy? That could be, based on these lines in Sefer Zavarim, the way that God takes care of the poor and the way that God opens up His hand is by giving you the ability to open up your hand to help the poor. That is exactly the idea we saw earlier in chapter 10 in Sefer Devarim, where we described that God is Ohevet Ager, God loves the stranger and the orphan and the widow. And then in the next line, back in chapter 10, verse 18 and 19, then we're told we're commanded to love the stranger and help him out. And there we explain this is the concept of imitato deo, or Ralach de Bidrachav, to emulate God, that the way that God takes care of the poor and loves the poor is by God commanding you to take care. And if God blesses you with prosperity, it's in order that you have the ability to help those who have less. And the way that God opens up his hands and helps those in need is by giving you the ability to do that for him. And if that is how one lives his life, he becomes a partner with God. And therefore, it's not only a relationship with God being Jewish, it's also a partnership with God. You see some injustice in day-to-day life, Don't complain about God for the way life runs, but rather God's telling you, I'm giving you the ability to fix society. And as we'll see over and over again in the last section of Sefer Dvarim, it is this type of society that the Torah wants us to build. And if we build such a society, that will sanctify God, not only in our day-to-day life, also in the eyes of the nations. This background can help us understand the Gemara and Masechet Brachot and the Babylonian Talmud the famous source for why we say Ashrei three times a day. Every day, 
Anyone who says Tilala David three times a day, it's promised that he will be a Ben Olam Baba, someone worthy of the world to come. Then the Gemara asks the question, what's the reason? So the first reason they bring is because it's written by the Alabet. So the Gemara answers, it can't be that because if that was the case, we should say Tilim 119, which has the entire Alabet eight times. Then the Gemara answers, Ela Mishum because of the line it's that line in Tilada David that makes this Mizmor, this Psalm of Tilim so special. So this Gemara should not be understood that if you say this magic line three times a day, you automatically get to Olam Abba, but rather if you understand what it says in this line. If you understand why the Mizmor quotes specifically this phrase based on its source from Sefer Tvarim, then surely you are a member of the world to come because you have lived a life of a partnership with God, and that makes you worthy of being with God forever. Now in the next section, we continue with the topic of how we treat those who are poor or in need. And we have a case when a person is so poor that he has to be sold into slavery, either because of a debt that he owes, or even possibly, as Rashi points out, had he stole something and can't pay back the value of what he stole. So verse 12, Pasuk Yudbet, Ki macher lecha achicha ha'ivri, o ha'ivriya, should a fellow Hebrew man be sold to you, as Rashi points out, the Beitin, sold him to you because he owed you money, or, I'll follow Rabbi Benun's explanation, or his wife comes with him, because we know Allah that we're not allowed to sell a female into slavery. If a female owes money, we do not sell her into slavery, but rather, should Beitin sell an Evid Ivri to a person, he is supposed to come together with his wife, and the wife of the Eved Ivri is called the Ivriyah, and the owner has to take care of her as well. Followed by Va'avdecha Sheshanim, that Eved must serve you for six years, and on the seventh year, you must set that slave free. Again, I'll explain what Rabbi Elbanud explained. It's not talking about selling a male or a female, because we don't sell a female into slavery. But rather, should a male be sold into slavery because he owes money? If that male is married, he comes together with his wife, known as the Ivriya. And therefore, the owner has to not only take care of his Ebed Ivri, he also has to take care of his wife. And here again, we find, as we'll see in the next verse as well, we're going to find something in addition to what we had in Parsha Mishpatim, in chapter 21 in the book of Shemot, that first introduced these laws of a Jewish servant. Pasuk Yedgimu, verse 13. And when you do set him free, do not let him go empty-handed. You could say he worked his six years, he paid off his debt. Now, let him free, but who says you have to give him a bonus? Instead, the Torah tells us in Pasuk Yedalad in verse 14, Make sure to give him a bonus. Give him something extra. Make sure to give him a bonus from your sheep from the grain of your threshing floor and from your vineyard, from everything that Hashem your God has blessed you with, make sure to give Him from your blessing to help Him make a new start in life. This is followed by the motivator line that we find throughout Sefer Devarim, which we'll talk about more in detail in tomorrow's share. Remember that you were once a slave in Egypt. That is not a standalone command to remember the Exodus. We had that back in Sefer Shemot, the laws of Passover. But rather, this is a motivator which is connected to verse 14. Make sure to give your servant a bonus, 
Make him feel good about himself when you send him free. Remember you were once a slave in Egypt. Remember how they mistreated you. And make sure to redeem your history and learn from how others mistreated you not to do that to others. Rashi explains this verse a little bit different. He says, remember when you were a slave in Egypt and when God took you out, he gave you from the Rehush Gadol, the great wealth from the Egyptians, when you took the gold and silver and clothing. And also when you split the sea, you were able to take from the looting of the Egyptian army. And just like God gave you a bonus when he took you out of slavery, make sure to give your servant a bonus when you send him free. And Hashem, your God, redeemed you from Egypt. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing today. Pasuk Tetzayim, verse 16. But should he say to you, I do not want to leave you. For he loves you, and he likes your household, and he's happy with you. Then you have to give him the ability to stay with you. As we had earlier in Parsha Mishpatim, Pasuk Zion, verse 17. Then you should take an owl and pierce his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. Chazal understand till the Yovel. And also you should do the same to your female slave. Both Rashi and Rashban point out that it's not talking about a female slave remaining yours forever, because that's not permitted. But this is referring to giving her a bonus. When you have a female slave, make sure when she leaves to give her a bonus. And then finally, in verse 18, It should not seem hard to you when you set him free. Because he's given you six years with double the service of a hired man. And by doing so, Hashem, your God, will bless you in whatever you do. Rashi points out, because you received a double wages from him, and Evid Ivri can work for his master during the day and during the night, and therefore you get double service because a regular worker only works during the day. So here again, we see laws about a Jewish servant based on the original law from Parshim Mishpatim, and in Sefer Devarim, we widen the scope of these laws, expounding upon them and adding elements of social justice and extra kindness to make sure that we build a just society, always caring for the poor and the needy. Now in verse 19, we change the overall topic from poor people and return to the topic of the place that God is going to choose, HaMakam HaShayiv HaRashem, and talk about a firstborn animal. Verse 19, Pasuk any firstborn animal that is born from your cattle or from your sheep that is male, he should be dedicated to Hashem your God. If it is an ox, you cannot use that ox to plow your field. It can't work for you. If it is a lamb, you can't cut its hair to take the wool. In other words, the owner cannot have any benefit from this animal as we will see now in the next line, Pasachaf, verse 20, In front of Hashem, your God, it must be eaten year by year. As Rashi points out, that means you have within the first year of when it's born to bring it to Yerushalayim. Where do you eat this firstborn? 
in a place that Hashem will choose, again referring to the Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, you together with your household. All the commentators point out that even though the owner has to bring this Bukhar, this firstborn to Yerushalayim, the owner himself does not eat this firstborn animal in Yerushalayim, but rather gives it to the Kohen when he comes to visit Yerushalayim. It can only be eaten by the priest because earlier in Sefer Bamidbar, in Parshat Korach, we had the laws of the presents given to the Kohanim, and there God gave the firstborn of all of Am Yisrael to the Kohanim in lieu of their service in the Beit HaMikdash. Notice as well that the law of a firstborn animal only applies to animals that could also be a korban, that is, only to cattle and to sheep, but not to the other kosher animals. And that's because it's only an animal that can be a korban, and it will be offered in the Beit HaMikdash as a korban, but this only applies if the animal has no blemish. Pasach of Allah, verse 21, oiver mumra. But should this animal have a defect, should it be lame or blind, or any type of defect that is bad, then do not offer it to Hashem your God. This is called the law of the Balmum, as any animal that has a blemish cannot be offered as a sacrifice to God. The details of those laws are found in the book of Aikra, chapters 21 and 22. And if that's the case, it no longer has to go to the Kohen in Yerushalayim. Rather, you can eat it at home in your own town. You can eat it in the gates of your own city. Someone who is clean or unclean, someone tamei or tahor, in other words, it doesn't have the law of Kodashim. It's like regular kosher meat. Just like one can eat a gazelle or a deer, that's how you can eat your firstborn animal from cattle or sheep if it has a blemish. And finally, because it has a law of kosher meat, we have a warning, make sure not to eat the blood. Pasach of Gimel, verse 23, Just be sure not to eat its blood. Pour out the blood like water. And of course, make sure not to eat the blood or sprinkle the blood on any type of altar because that is forbidden. As we mentioned once again, the place that Hashem will choose for, to make His name known, Havakom HaShayib Khar Hashem, and tomorrow's Shir we will continue and study about the holidays in chapter 16 and see the centrality of that place in our celebration of the holidays.